morning. It's a great joy to be here at Christ the Redeemer. I bring greetings and, uh, and apologies from my wife, Kathy, and Dr. Gracie. They are at this moment on their way to Temple, Texas for a baby shower, the first new generation of, of children uh, in her family. Uh, so they're all excited about that. This morning, though, she said three times, I wish I was going with you. Uh, and that's because there's a lot of exciting things happening in the diocese for work. But at the top of the list is the ministry and the work that's going on here in this parish, Christ and Dean. Uh, give a lot of credit to your clergy and staff for the vision and leadership, uh, being committed to the Great Commission. It's, it's obviously essential uh, that we hand down the faith once delivered to the saints to the next generation. Uh, and so keeping the Great Commission before us has, has got to be uh, a permanent location for our diocese and for every one of our parishes and for each member of our parish. Um, while I'm doing a little more introduction work, uh, if you want, if you're not sitting up close to the screen, you can turn to page 822 in your Q Bible, 822 and 823. That'll take you to Lizzie 17. So I arrived here this morning uh, and got out of the car and Father Chris came and greeted me and said, just to, to warn you, we're having biblical proportion cricket plays. <laughs> <laughs> And so during Alpha, I was thinking about that. If, if I start hearing the crickets chirp, one of you, <laughs> either I all the sleep or you're so enraptured by what you're saying by hearing the gospel that we can hear the crickets chirping. Um, so 17 verses 5 through 10, 822, here we go. Um, how many of you have only been a Christian for, say, less than 10 years? Anybody? How many of you have been a Christian for more than 25 years? Raise your hand. Okay. Great. All of you have been a Christian a long time. I bet you at some point in your life, you've had that very question of the Lord, or that very prayer, Lord, increase my faith. My sister died at 34 suddenly, and my parents' hearts were broken, my heart was broken, and I know I called out, Lord, increase my faith. Uh, my grandmother lay dying of, of cancer. I know my prayer back at nine years old is, Lord, increase my faith. How are we going to get through this? Right? What led the apostles to ask this question of our Lord? If you look on page 822, you'll see Jesus has just shared the, the, the parable of the prodigal son. Then he tells the parable of the unjust steward. Then he tells the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Now, after these three parables, the, the apostles are silent. They're simply listening. Then Jesus goes on to talk about divorce and remarriage and gives a very, what I would say, a black and white picture of, of the significance of marriage and how we need to avoid divorce at all costs. They're still silent, right? Um, then Jesus says, and I'm sure at this point, the crowds are all gathered around him and perhaps he places his hand on a little one's shoulder and says, if any one of you would cause one of these little ones to sin, it would be better to have a great millstone wrapped around your neck and thrown into the sea. Apostles are still saying. Then we look and we see Jesus saying, if your brother sins against you and asks you to forgive us, forgive him. Even if he sins against you seven times a day, forgive him. That got their attention. They turn around to Jesus and say, Lord, increase our faith. If you turn on the TV, you can watch any dozen preachers who will tell you that faith is an accomplishment. That somehow if you have enough faith, you'll heal your loved one of, of a disease. If somehow you have enough faith, 
you'll get that better job that you're hoping for. If you somehow enough faith and say, write me a $100 check, he'll bless you with all kinds of riches in the coming week. How many of you have heard that on TV? Right? The gospel has been a little bit shrouded in this health and wealth mindset. But somehow faith is an accomplishment. And that if we just have enough faith, we'll get through the, the, the tough times in this life or the challenges that we might face. Let me take a step back and say, uh, I'm really excited for the ten of you who are being confirmed. You're confirming your faith at your baptism today, that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. When bishops would come in the olden days, say 50 years ago, bishops, bishops would come and visit with the confirmants before the sacrament of confirmation took place. And they wanted to ensure that you knew the Lord's Prayer, that you knew the Ten Commandments, and that you knew the Apostles' Creed all by heart. And the expectation was he was going to sit down with you and look you in the face and say, okay, let's hear it, right? You had to have those things memorized. But behind that, because we know that Christian faith is not just memorizing some facts or knowing knowledge. It is a relationship with the living Lord. It is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's the critical thing behind knowing how to pray, knowing what we believe, and knowing how we live our lives. So let's go back to this idea of increasing our faith. How does Jesus respond to them? It's almost like a rebuke, isn't it? But it's not. It's actually good news. He says, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, it's a grain of seed, right? You could say to the mulberry tree, be uprooted and plant it in the sea and it would obey you. So rather than saying, okay, here's how you get more faith, Jesus says, all you need is that little spark, that little seed of faith. And God can do amazing things through you and with you. It's remarkable. It's not about how much faith we have. It's about God's grace active in our lives, allowing us to day in and day out walk that walk, follow in the footsteps of Jesus, pick up our own cross, and come after him. Now, Jesus doesn't finish there. He continues on by saying, uh, will any one of you, if a servant is plowing keeping sheep, say to him, when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline a table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly, serve me while I eat and drink, and afterwards you will eat and drink? And then skipping down to the bottom, he says, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants, we have only done what was our duty. So Jesus goes from this idea of a simple childlike trust in God to how we serve him. And what he's asking for is humble service. Not service that's motivated by a pat on the back or what kind of awards we can receive. Not the kind of service that puts the spotlight on us. Look at me, I fed five homeless people a day. How devout a Christian am I? No, Jesus is saying, do what you're supposed to do. All right, so he's challenged them to have simple childlike trust for their faith and to simply do ordinary daily acts of service without the expectation of any credit or any fame uh, or any reward. To me, this is actually good news, right? We don't have to have firework faith to be walking in the world. We don't have to have these amazing accomplishments as Christians to somehow be worthy of God's love. He loves us regardless. But we're called to that simple, humble, uh, trustful 
uh, following in him, serving him, loving him with all our hearts, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. So I want to go back to the compliments real quick. What you're doing today, uh, as you're coming forward, we're gonna, I'm going to be laying my hands on you. We're going to be asking the Holy Spirit to come into your life, to fill your heart with his love. And the amazing thing about the work of the Holy Spirit is that through his power, we're able to behold the face of God in Jesus Christ. Something we could not do apart from God's grace. God is holy. He's a transcendent being. Sin cannot exist in his presence. And without the power of the cross, without the redeeming blood of Christ, if we were to enter into his presence as a sinful being, it'd be like throwing a tissue in a glass furnace. But now, as St. John says, and the author of Hebrews says, we can actually approach the throne of confidence because of the grace of Jesus Christ. That's what you're affirming today. So I am going to try to jump off here in a moment and touch on stewardship. But, but, and and tie into this idea of humble act of service. So I want to come back in a moment and talk about this, this personal relationship with God, and that's what we're close with. So we're called the humble acts of service. Our service is, should be based on the gratitude that we have for the salvation that's given to us in Jesus Christ. And it should lead the lives of generosity. If you know church history, you know we're living in a time, an age, a culture that almost mimics or parallels what the first century and second century church lived in. The things of God are hated. Right is now wrong. Up is now down. Left is now right. There's an attack on the things of God in our culture from an intellectual standpoint. Uh, there's a hatred of his law, his the moral revelation that he's given to us. Family's been redefined. Life is no longer uh, uh, holy. Uh, you can point to a number of things. And, and what has this led to in our, in our culture? Uh, a great emptiness, a starvation of the things that last. And yet that culture continues to roll further and further away from the gospel. At this very moment, one in seven Christians live in a place where it is illegal to be a Christian. And many of them are under threats of persecution. Now if you do your math, that's 300 million Christians who are living in persecution today. And they know exactly what it was like in the first century church. But if you know your history, Constantine converted the Christian faith and essentially the church conquered the Roman culture by 315 AD. How many swords did the Christians draw to conquer the Roman Empire? Zero. How many boats did they cast to change the direction of the culture? Zero. How many political action committees did they establish? None. None of that took place. What they did for 200 plus years was they lived a life of love. They lived a life of gratitude. They lived a life of generosity. It can be said that the pagans in the first couple centuries gave their entire bodies away and kept all their money. The Christians protected their bodies, kept them holy, and gave all their money away. Those acts of generosity is what conquered an entire culture. Acts of love and service. So, to tie it into stewardship, our willingness to do the work of the church, to support, to be stewards of God's church, of his word, as we hear in, in 2 Timothy, um, is, is founded in that part of gratitude for what Jesus has done for us. God has given us all of this and called us to be stewards. And our response should be generosity. So when you're praying about 
well, what do I want to give to the church? Give abundantly, give liberally, because you're demonstrating that heart of gratitude, and you're living out that life of generosity. Jesus reminds us it's more blessed to give than to receive, right? Give all that you can, not just to Christ and the human, but to organizations that are changing lives in our world. Give to your neighbor who's in need. Give to the person on the street corner the best you can. Um, give to organizations that are working with those kind of people and get them into a, a life that's more holy and, and healthy. So back to our compromise, and this will, this will close it out here. I don't know how long I've been. I haven't heard any crickets. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to do a visual illustration today. I'm going to put this away for a second. I wanted to do a visual illustration today, but it's a little bit dangerous because it involves a five-gallon five can of gas. And I couldn't bring that in here, could I? Um, we're calling upon the Holy Spirit to enter into your lives, to guide you, to lead you, to direct you. God, the Holy Spirit, uh, interacts in our lives in many different ways. And I hope today you feel and sense his presence in your life. But just as importantly, I hope every day you get up, you feel that you're being directed by God the Holy Spirit, led by His Spirit to be more and more conformed in the image of, of Christ His Son. So, we take our five-gallon can of gas. Take a match and drop it into the lab. Right, you get this huge explosion, a big fire. Right, sometimes the Holy Spirit acts like that in our lives. He interacts with us that way. We have these huge moments of explosion. We feel tangibly feel the presence and power of God in our lives. However, I can go out to my car with that five-gallon can of gas, put it in the gas tank, run through a combustion engine, and I can drive 150 miles away from it. That's often how the Holy Spirit interacts with us as well. It gives us the perseverance that, that the author of Hebrews calls us to run that race with perseverance that's set before you. He gives us the strength to get up every day to trust in Jesus with that little mustard seed and to serve Jesus and the people we encounter day to day. So to wrap it up, uh, it's a joy to be here today. Uh, I love what I hear about Christ the Redeemer and now I get to finally experience it as we break bread together, we hear the word of God together, we pray together, and most importantly, we, we offer these folks to the Lord. We call upon the Holy Spirit to, to come into their lives, uh, to allow them to be live really the fullness of the discipleship that our Lord has called them to live. We offer all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen.